welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I do actually have a lot of scripture, so we're going to, I'm kind of just preaching scripture today. I'm just going to read scripture and uh, so there's going to be a lot of reading involved, but um, I'm continuing a sermon series that we started a, a little bit ago on parenting. Uh, we're talking about the arrows that are in our hands. And By the way, if you're a mom here today and you haven't uh, been here since Mother's Day, you missed out on your mug. I believe the mugs are out, out, over there on the hospitality table. We got some warrior uh, mugs for moms. Uh, that have the scripture, Psalm 127, on them, because Psalm 127 tells us that, that, that the way that God sees um, children, the way that God sees adults, the way that God sees family, is that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So what that means is that God sees parents as warriors, as fighters, and God sees children as, as the, the tools that God uses to attack the darkness in any generation. And so I believe that God wants us to raise up some arrows um, in, in City Chapel, to raise up some arrows that, that God can send uh, on a trajectory of their divine purpose. And that they can fight back the darkness, they can bring about revival, they can bring about a move of God. And, 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 so, and so that's just what I believe, and I, and I want to help equip us as parents, many of us are parents, uh, and have children either living at home or children who have grown and are outside of the home. Uh, but I really want to help equip us to uh, do a few things, right? To take the arrow, because the old ancient warrior would have to go find the arrow in, in, in the wilderness. You have to go in the woods, and you have to take the arrow, then you have to shape the arrow, then you have sharpen the arrow, and then you balance the arrow with some feathers, and then you release the arrow uh, toward its target. And so, um, as per usual, I'm taking my time walking through those steps. Because really, it doesn't just apply to parents doesn't just apply to people that have children. It really applies to anyone who's living right here, right now. I believe God's put you on this planet. Even if you don't have kids, God, God, God has put you on this planet to be an influence to those around you, to, to, take, to, help, to help take them from where they are, to where God's called them to be, to see potential in people, right? We talked about that. But also to help shape them, to have, to have, a, to have an influence in people's lives that pushes them toward God, that shapes them toward their divine destiny, toward their calling. And so no matter where you're at today and you're watching from home, uh, I believe that God has a, a, a word for us. Um, and uh, last week I talked about shaping influences. And so the power of shaping influences, and then during the week on, on Facebook, I did an extra little sort of follow-up, another half-hour follow-up to shaping influences, because there's so much to be said about the influences that, that shape us um, as, as children, and really as, as humans. Uh, there's so many different things that go in to create our shape, that decide our shape. Uh, things of which we often have little control over, right? So economic issues can have a shaping influence on your kids, whether the loss of a job or a raise and, and, a, and a home suddenly gets an influx of money. What do they do with that money? How does that influence? It's going to influence your children. A pandemic, just in case one ever happens, a global pandemic, just so you know, just FYI, that will impact and it'll influence you, it'll influence your marriage, it'll influence your relationship, it will have an impact. And I'm not saying a bad impact. It may have a very positive impact. Staying, for some people, staying home with their spouse was the best thing they could have done over the past two years. And for some people, not so much. But I'm just saying it will have an impact and it will influence your children. Just simply going to school with everybody's faces covered for a little while is going to influence them. They're going to be the generation that went through COVID, right? And that's a significant thing. It's an impact. And so to recognize, and there, there are influences that we have control over, which I talked about last week, primarily us. We have control. The greatest influence in our children's life is us. We are the greatest influence. And the greatest influence in those around you is you. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? And so you are also the salt of the earth. You are the influencers. 
You are the, the, the game changers. I've, I've put you on this, I saved you and then I left you here, not because uh, I forgot about you, but because I have a plan for you to make an impact here on this planet while you're here. And so we understand that there's, 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 there's these influences that we can have and that can uh, be had on our kids. But the greatest influence, because I, I, I think there's a couple dangers to talking about influence, and I just want to clear those up right now. There's, there's two main dangers, and this is taken from uh, the book Shepherding a Child's Heart by, by, by Ted Tripp. He talks about two main um, dangers of, of focusing on shaping influences. Because oftentimes, a sermon like last week would be the kind of, I guess, typical parenting sermon you hear at church because there's an emphasis on the things you can control and the things you can't control and how to respond to those. Uh, you know, don't, don't let your kids watch these movies, don't let your kids listen to this music, instead uh, have these kind of talks and have these kind of influences. And that's fine, but there's two dangers to focusing on shaping influences. Oh, look, I got my arrow right up here, I forgot about that. So this is the shape that we want, we want a nice straight arrow. There's two, there's two dangers, one is denial, the danger of denial, to say, well, kids are going to turn out the way kids turn out no matter what. And so we'll just, we'll just let them see anything, experience anything, we'll let anything go in our house. And that's, that's dangerous because that's denial. And it's, the truth is that things are influencing your kids and they are shaping them. But the other is determinism. So determinism says if I just correct all of the shape, if I have all good shaping influences in my child's life, then absolutely they will fly in the direct direction of their divine destiny. Uh, that's not always the case. Sometimes you can have really good shaping influences, but kids decide. Humans decide, actually. Your coworker, you can be the best, you could be Jesus to them. But even Jesus was only able to convince 11 of his 12 disciples to stick with it. You know what I'm saying? And those were the guys who walked with them and talked with them and like camped with them and lived with him. Uh, he was only able to convince 120 individuals from his entire three years worth of ministry. So Jesus, the great uh, church planter, the great water into wine, the great miracles, raising, literally raising people from the dead, uh, feeding 5,000 people with fishes and loaves. And we were talking miracle after miracle after miracle was only able to get a church of 120 people together after three years of miraculous, powerful, prophetic, I mean, God himself preaching. So <laughs> I'm just saying that people have a choice. People have a choice as to how they respond to the shaping influences in their life. And so it is dangerous, I think, to imagine that, man, if I'm a parent, if I just do everything right, then my kids will turn out right. Mm, maybe. <laughs> the truth is they still have a choice. Your, your child, just like you and me, we have a choice to how we're going to respond to the things that happen to us, to the things, to, to God himself. God himself doesn't force anyone into anything. So God gives us a choice. So the key then is absolutely control shaping influences that you can control. Uh, help your child navigate the ones that they cannot control. Help your society navigate the shaping influences that they cannot control, right? But at the end of the day, the truth is, there, there, there needs to be something more. Your, your growth is not based on what happens to you. Your growth is, what ha is based on what happens to you in accordance with what is already going on inside of you. Does that make sense? So you, you could probably see this in your own life. At time, in times in your history, it's like, okay, I heard that sermon. Okay, I was at that worship service. Okay, I had this experience, but it just didn't hit me like it hit me this time. What's different? You're different. There's something on the inside. There is something on the inside that, that shifts inside of us. And so the key is not just what happens to us, but what happens inside of us. And so what I want to talk to you about today is the importance of, uh, yes, shaping influences, but the other primary factor in shaping your life and your children's life and the lives of those around you is what is happening on the inside of them. Particularly, uh, Ted Tripp calls it a, a Godward orientation. Do they, do your kids have a Godward orientation? Do your coworkers have a Godward orientation? 
Do the people around you, do they have a Godward orientation? Because if they do have a Godward orientation, then just like Jesus in his ministry, Jesus will say some parable about, I don't know, a sower dropping seed along the soil. And, and, and some of the disciples would be like, wow, that's really crazy. I don't understand anything he's saying. I should go ask him what he means. And then other people will go, wow, this guy is really off his rocker and they'll just leave. It's based on whether or not you have a Godward orientation as to how you respond to God. And this is true in all kinds of things, right? But, but we want our kids to have a Godward orientation, something inside of them that it acts as a compass. Uh, this, the, the, the picture that came to my mind is the picture of, John, of Johnny Depp, Jack Sparrow, you know. Uh, he's, got, he's got his compass, right? And his compass, he's, he's, like, he's like, my compass does work. Um, his compass does work. It just doesn't point true north. It points in the direction of what his heart wants the most. And I feel like this is what God is calling us to work toward, is to help foster and develop a Godward orientation in our kids. That they would have inside of them something that no matter uh, if they stray, no matter if things go wrong, no matter if a pandemic happens, that there's something inside of them that is a, that is a desire directed toward the living God, toward the one and true God. This is, what, this is what my job as a parent is. It's not just to control the shaping influences, make sure they don't listen to certain kinds of music and do listen to other. My job as a parent is to help instill in them a hunger for God. And our job actually as people in our society, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are to stir up a thirst. You get salt, you get thirsty. That's why they have salted peanuts at bars, you know, so that you drink that and you get thirsty. That's why, uh, uh, actually, Topo Chico has a little bit of sodium in it, right? So it kind of keeps you coming back for more because a little bit of sodium will help trigger your thirst. And that's what salt does. So our job as parents is to, is to, is to engage our kids' thirst for God, to make them thirstier for God. And our job as people, no matter what, no, it's what school we go to or what place of business that we occupy, is to help stir up a hunger or a thirst for God. Now, obviously, you're going to do it differently if you're in some places of business where you can't even talk about God or you get fired, right? So you get, but you can still do it. Actually, the, the, there's, there's, there's some interesting writing, there, there's interesting uh, uh, writing that, that I read a while back by one of the early church fathers, and he was writing to the Roman Senate, and uh, this is around 250 AD. He said, he, said, he said, you've tried to persecute us, you tried to kill us, this is paraphrased, he said, but by now we are filling all of your places. We have Christians in the Senate, we have Christians in the Congress, we have Christians in the workplace, we have Christians all over the place. We, are infil we have infiltrated your country. You tried to stamp us out. And then literally about 50, 60 years later, uh, Constantine decided, you know what? Christianity is the main religion of, 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 of Rome, the greatest power in the world. Why? And, and this is where you couldn't even talk about God without getting persecuted or burned at the stake or tortured in some way or imprisoned. So it is possible just by our lives, without saying the word Yeshua, without saying the word Jehovah, it is possible by our lives to impact and stir up a hunger for God, for people to say, you have something that's really fascinating. You have something that is really attractive. You have something that is really powerful. Like, what is it that you have and how can I get that? And, and especially with our kids, how much more can we actually say the name Jehovah? Can we actually talk about God? Um, because, you know, there's, 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 there's no restrictions within the home. So far, Austin isn't restricting what we say inside of our houses. Uh, and that's great. And so, and so I, so I want to encourage you to stir up a hunger. Stir up a hunger for God. Because the truth is your kids are worshiping. They are hungry for something. They are thirsty for something. We are worshipers, right? So we are going to worship something. All of us worship something. Even atheists worship something. All of us are worshipers. And, and Romans tells us in Romans 1, uh, 25, it says that they exchange the truth about God. Now, this is the bad way to do it, but they're still worshipers. Romans 1, 25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So it is true that even people who reject God 
they are still worshiping something. You can deconstruct all you want to, but when you deconstruct everything and you get rid of all social shackles and all biblical ties and all obligations, at the center of your being is a worshiper. And you cannot de deconstruct your desire to worship. Because we all have it. We all, uh, I mean, humans are specifically worshipers, more so than any other uh, mammal on the planet, any other created being. Worship, worship comes natural to us, right? Like, this is why we love sports. This is why, this is why different cars cost more than other cars. Because these other cars are more beautiful than those other cars, right? But, but humans are specific in that, in our ability to discern beauty and say, wow, that is more beautiful. Like, you know, the horses on our farm, they don't, there's no Megan Fox horse on our farm. You know what I'm saying? Like pretty much any female who is in heat, all of the males are interested. <laughs> she can be as ugly as, any, as, as anything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, she can be the most beautiful horse in the world, and there's zero difference. Same thing with dogs. When, when, when female dogs are in heat, it doesn't matter what they look like. Same thing with, you know, hamsters, and, and I mean, every other animal. There's no competition. There's, there's, no, there's no horses on the cover of Time magazine, and they're like, oh yes, that's the kind of horse we all need to aspire to look like. No, they don't care. They're not evaluating each other and comparing each other and saying, oh, wow, who's like, wh wh what's that fit? Is that Nike? Is that Reebok? What is that? Is that Hollister that he's got on? Like, no, like the, 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 in the animal kingdom, it really doesn't matter what you have on because they're not made to adore things. They're not made to stand back and say, wow, now that is awesome. That watch. Wow. Where did you get that? That, 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 how, where do you get your haircut? None of the horses are checking in on where they, each other gets their mane done or like it's just it's just because they don't they're not looking to adore. Our dog like our, our, our pets they don't sit in front of the TV and watch football with me because it's pointless to them. It's a bunch of humans running around doing a bunch of things but for me it's like wow those guys are amazing. Do you see the catch the guy made right there? That was awesome. Like, I hope they show a replay on that, right? And so that we can, so that we can stand back and say, wow. That's specifically human, to stand back and say, wow, did you see that? I've never seen anything like that. That's amazing. That play, I've never seen a play like that. It's, it's, it's very human to think about stats and to, imagine, to think about who the goat is and to argue between LeBron and Jordan, right? Because it's, it's like, wow, this guy and then that and then that. It's very human because we have idols, because we love to worship. We love to say, this person is amazing. This singer is amazing. They need to take the mask off so we can see who it is, right? Because it's amazing. We, like, only humans are like that. Ted Tripp talks about uh, 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 penguins in the North Pole, you know. They all dive off of the little, little glaciers, you know. It's just these beautiful, perfect dives. And nobody, none of them are sitting back going, okay, well, that was a 9.5. And I'll rate him at a 9.7 because his flippers were curled, you know. Like, animals don't do that. They just, they just live. And they don't compare with each other and, oh, I think you're more taller than me, so you must be better than me, or you're, you're better at this, so I don't know. Like, but humans do because we were made to worship. We were made to stand back and be amazed at something. And we will be amazed at something. We will desire to be amazed and to be dazzled and to be impressed. We will travel across the world. We will spend thousands of, we'll spend all of our money to be impressed. We're just trying to live something that's exciting, that's thrilling, that's, that's awesome. And this is why we have imagination, so that we can build upon just, just what, not only what we've experienced, but what we possibly could experience. And, and we're amazed by artists, and we're amazed by, 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 by musicians, and we're amazed by so many different things because we were born that way. We are worshipers. Some of us are amazed by philosophies. Some of us are amazed and, and dazzled by, 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 by being correct, by knowledge. 
We're blown away with logic and knowledge. We're like, yes, I want to be that smart. I want to, so I'm going to study, so I'm going to read, so I'm going to get all, I want to be able to, to, to debate, right? So I'm, so, so I'm going to listen to this guy and to that guy, lady and to the other guy. And we build our, our, our lives. You are building your life around something. That's called worship. To gather around and to acknowledge the greatness of a thing, that's worship. To orchestrate your life, to orchestrate your schedules around a particular thing, that's worship. To organize your, your pursuits and your money and your finances and, and everything in a particular direction, that's the shape of your worship. And so we are all worshipers. The question is, are we going to worship God or are we going to worship something less than God? Something created. Romans says that they exchanged the knowledge of God for a lie. And so when they did that, they, they chose to worship something less than God. A created thing, whatever that might be. It might be fame. It might be uh, possessions. And so your kids will worship. Every single one of them will become worshipers. They will worship perhaps power. You know, um, some kids just naturally, they, they're drawn toward the allure of power. Uh, Madden and I had this talk just a little while ago that there's a different that being a leader and being bossy are two different things because a leader wants to serve a boss wants to be in charge wants to have power and so you may be called to leadership but be careful that you don't lust and worship power that I have control that I am able to say things and this gets done, that I, I, am, I am in control. The desire, the, the lust for control, that, that can be an idol. We bow down and worship control. And so in all of our lives, we're always angling, how can I get control in this situation? How can I get control in, in my work? How can I get control in my marriage? Is, my kids are getting out of control. Oh, no. You know, and so we worship the God or goddess, maybe, <laughs> of control. Just throwing it out there. Don't give me little looks. I'm just saying. Because it, it, there's, there's this pull. There's this attraction to control. There's, there's, there's an attraction to, to possessions. There's an attraction to, to experiences, to pleasure. Some of us are the God of pleasure. And we bow down and we worship pleasure. And so we use all of our money on experiences. We'll think nothing of spending money on a vacation. But when it comes to tithing, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give half of that to God. But, but, but we so yearn for pleasure and experiences. We so yearn for that. Some of us as people, right? We want, we want people to acknowledge us. People pleasing. The God of people pleasing. Where it's like people's opinions of me matter so deeply. In all areas of my life, people's opinions of me matter. And so I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to say things. I'm trying to work angles so that people will think well of me. And social media is a huge trap for that because we just get sucked into this, this people-pleasing thing and it's so easy to get the likes and get the shares and get the comments and get the loves and get the hearts and, and all that kind of thing. And, 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 and yet, and yet it, it really, it, it, and, and, and some people even check and see who's liking and who's sharing and oh gosh. And then you just, get, because you're so concerned that somebody might be mad at you, somebody might not like you, somebody might be upset with you. The God of people pleasing. And, and the truth is we, we pass these, these gods, we present these gods to our kids. Not, not in an overt way. We never say, well, you need to really care about what people think. But we'll say things like, well, you can't do that because what would so-and-so think of you? We present these gods to them. We present the God of possessions because the worst thing they could ever do is break something that's very valuable to us. Kids are always trying to examine us. They're always looking at you saying, what makes them tick? What, what's going to get me in trouble? Because <laughs> I don't want to do that. What's going to get me praised? Because I want to do that. What's, what's, what's going to get a pat on the back? What, what is going to really impress dad? Because that's, that's what I want to do. So they're always examining you, trying to figure out your, your, your idols, your gods, your values. They're trying to figure out because if they can figure that out, then one, they won't get in trouble as much because they'll make sure not to do the stuff that you don't like. But two, they'll also be praised more because they'll make sure to do the things that you value, that you like. And so they'll, they're, 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 they're wonderful mirrors, I guess I should say, of not what we say, but actually what, what we do, actually what we value. 
kids are wonderful uh, reflectors of that because they're, they're spending their lives trying to, trying to examine it, trying to figure out what makes dad tick. Like, what, what, what can I get away with? <laughs> what can I, and what can I not get away with? Right? And so, and so, and so, and so, and so they're, they're looking at us. And, they're, and so as we raise our kids, you know, we might see different things inside of them. We might see them bowing down to the God of, of pleasure. Well, that's probably a good sign that they've been watching you operate your life out of pleasure. It's probably a good sign that they've been learning from you. They've been, you, you are the, the greatest influence in their life. And so you're presenting this. And this is true not just for people who have kids, but for, for if, 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 if everybody in your life seems to be bowing down to the same thing, you're probably connected to that. You're probably also bowing down to this thing, whatever it is. And you're, 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 you're going with them to the, these places of worship, spending money on these things. And it's not to say that we can't have uh, hobbies or, or be impressed by different things. We will be impressed by a lot of things, and that's fine. But what is your greatest obsession? What is your greatest amazement? What do you stand in awe of the most? What are you fascinated by the most? What are you thirsty and hungry for the most? And this is why, really, a parenting sermon series is actually a parent sermon series. <laughs> it's not, what's the old song? It's not my brother, it's not my si- sister, but it's me. It's, it's not my daughter, it's not my son, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Because the, 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 the key is that I, that I would bow down to God, that I would be obsessed with God, that I would be passionate with God, about God. And when I am, then my children can become passionate about God too. Actually, just this week, I was working on this sermon series and, and I was talking to somebody and they asked me that very question, how can I get my kids fired up about God? And I said, wow, that's exactly what I'm preaching on Sunday. That's a brilliant question. Like, that's, that's it. That's really the key. How can I get my kids, not just, shh, not, not just tell them do this, don't do that, but how can I instill in them a, a fired upness about God? And um, so that's what I want to spend the rest of today talking about. How do we, how do, we do that? How does, how does Scripture tell us to do that? Well, um, for, for starters, it starts with what we talk about. It starts with our, our mouths. This is how we can get uh, our kids fired up about God, is when we ourselves are fired up about God. So uh, this is where I have a lot of Scripture. Psalm uh, 145 says, I will exalt my God the King. Now, this is not just in church, right? He's saying, I will exalt my God the King. That's, that's verbally. I will, I will exalt my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day, come on somebody, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Every day, I will praise. And praise is not just a song. Praise is, is sharing who God is and what he has done. I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great, and so now he's given us an example. Well, gee, gee, how do I do that? Great is the Lord, he says, and most worthy of praise. So as parents and as people, if we talk about the greatness of God and the worthiness of God, his greatness no one can fathom. Isn't that awesome? Fathom meaning like you can drop a plumb line and you can't reach the bottom of his greatness. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. This is parenting, is to tell our kids of the works of God. And I know sometimes, even in Christian circles, this is weird. Because, because the mighty acts of God and the praise of God, well, that's for church. <laughs> right? And yet out of church, well, let's be, let's, let's be realistic. We have, we got flag football to play. We got things to do. But even flag football, before the game, we're in the parking lot. And I say, guys, let's pray. And we pray with the kids that God would, one, help us not, help Micah not break anything, uh, any bones in his body, you know, because we don't have insurance on him. So, Lord, keep him safe. Uh, But two, Lord, use us as witnesses with a bunch of people that don't know you. Help them to see your character. Help them to see your qualities and your love through us in the way that we play. In Jesus' name, amen. And we go. 
So I'm, I'm just saying, like, this is, this is a common thing for us. You should be able to extol God, praise God, tell your kids about how great God is. Even from an early age, I mean, Madden, she was like six months old. I remember uh, Ro and Madden came to visit me. I was on staff at Promised Land down in San Marcos Church, and uh, they came to visit me for lunch one day, and Ro brought me some lunch. We were really poor back then, so, uh, and gas was cheaper. And so Ro drove in, and uh, we shared, like, leftover from last night's dinner or whatever and I'm holding Madden outside and Madden was fascinated with I don't know something like butterflies or she was something outside and uh, me and um, the pastor's wife Erica was out there and so I just started telling Madden about the God who created whatever it was she was fascinated I think it was butterflies or maybe it was uh, dandelions, right? And so I just started talking about God. Who's, if it was dandelions, I'd probably start talking about color and how God created color and all these different colors. Like he could have made us all gray, uh, but he's decided because he's creative, because he loves beauty, that he just flung all of these amazing, crazy colors out of only three colors, by the way. You red, green, and blue. You have three receptacles in your eye. And out of those three colors, he's created everything that you see right now from these good colors. Every color that you see is from red, green, and blue. And it's from these three little receptors. And, And actually, everything is actually technically gray anyway, but it's the way the light refracts off of it. So I was just explaining to how awesome God is, how creative God is, how God's up there in heaven right now checking out rainbows and watching flowers open up. And then there's these galaxies that he created. And so, you know, I I, I can sort of get carried away, but like you, like anything, just regular life. Your kids are, Madden was fascinated with frogs. We go walking in the evening. She's like nine months old. We go around the neighborhood and she'd see fascinated and terrified by frogs, you know? And so we could talk about the God who created frogs and how pointless are they? And how, how weird is it? These little weird animals. And yet God finds joy and pleasure in creativity and in diversity. He just loves it. He just, these little things that just hop around. Like, he just loves it. Like, God just does this stuff, and their feet and stuff, and they can grab onto things. Like, and their tongue reaches out and grabs stuff. And it's, it's, so you can, I, I'm just saying on a daily basis, from the time that they're six months old to the time that they're 95, you can talk about the greatness of God. Because the, they'll never run out of things to be fascinated by that he has made to display his glory. They'll never run out of stuff. Never run out of stuff. Always there will be fresh sunsets and sunrises to be amazed at. And like moons, like last week, that moon, like that was crazy. Did you guys see I tried taking a picture of it and it just looked like the sun rising over my house. And I was like, well, that's kind of pointless. But, you know, but I, like we took the kids outside. We're like, this is awesome. Like, this is what, like no wonder ancient people used to worship that thing right there because that looks really powerful. And that's really cool. And that's just a token of what God crafted and stuck there somehow in orbit around this big thing, which he put in orbit around other big things. And I'm like, and, and God's controlling it all by the word of his power? He's just telling it every single moment of every single day what to go, where to go, and what to do? This is amazing. God suspends that and gets it close and pulls it back and that and what it does to the water of the oceans of the earth and what it does to the gravitational pull and and anyway you just start sharing about the greatness of God whether you have a magnifying glass or a microscope a microscope or a periscope you're going to see the greatness of God you're going to see the power of God. And so he says, every day I will declare his works one to another and speak of his, they speak of his glorious splendor of your majesty. He says, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. So I'm not just coming up with stuff to tell my kids. I'm thinking about it myself. These works, they tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds. They, uh, his saints, celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. This is what you can I'll tell you what, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. But this is, this is like one of the things that will happen when you start trying to tell your kids about how awesome God is, you will also simultaneously stop being so judgy. 
You know what I mean? Because it's impossible to be like, stop hitting your sister, stop hitting your sister. The Lord is gracious and kind and love and slow to anger, right? If you don't come out here in three, by the time I count to three, right? If you don't come downstairs by one, two, the Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all and compassionate on all he's made. It doesn't work. So what happens when, is when you start thinking biblically, you start living biblically. When you start trying to communicate truths about God's word, you also, it's a check to your own life. Because how can I tell my kids that the Lord is rich in love when I'm super short on it? The Lord is patient. I got about this much patience for them. How can I tell them the Lord's good to all, to everyone? When I'm berating somebody on Facebook that doesn't think like I do, the Lord is good to all, except those idiots. <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't work. So what happens is as I soak myself in the Word of God, as, I, as he said, I meditate on it, I think about it, and it gets down inside of me. I remember my, my dad dropping my brother and I off at sleepovers. He would always quote some scripture, you know. <laughs> He'd be like, the eyes of the Lord are to and fro throughout the earth. <laughs> Meaning, like, I can't see you, but God can. <laughs> and it's not a threat. It's just truth. This is really true. Even a child is known by his doings. Even a child is known by his doings. In other words, what you do with the sleepover will give you a reputation. The adults... The parents will know you by that. Your friends will know you by that. They will come to expect that of you. There's no stepping out of character because even a child is known by what he does. Hmm. These are the scriptures that my dad will quote. And he's not trying to scare me. He's not trying to, you know, do anything. I mean, he would, it's just truth. It's just the way that God thinks. This is the way that God thinks. It's the way his word thinks. And so this is the way that we think it, that in the Fleming home. This is, this is just reality. It's just real. God is watching. God is just. God is true. God is rich in love. He's good to all. He's compassionate on all that he's made. Verse 10, all of your works, I believe, praise you. Your faithful people lift you up. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know your mighty acts and the, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is the everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy. Come on. The Lord is trustworthy. Man, that's key. To let your kids know that I have, I have tried and tested and I have found the Lord to be trustworthy in all that he promises. And faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So it's not just me, kids, but all of creation is sustained by God. All of creation is looking to God for their food. And Jesus says this, right? Why do you worry about what you'll eat or drink? I mean, look around you. Do you see any animals worrying about that? Do you see, do you see the, the, the flowers worrying about that? Do you see any of nature worried about the future? No, the, fe the tomorrow belongs to the Lord. The future belongs to God. So kids, you can trust him. We can trust him about our finances. We can trust him about our house. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Man, have you, have you shared with your kids how God fulfilled your desires? I think, I, I, I think so many times our version of God, it's like, it, it probably because, in part, because we live in Austin where it's just not cool to believe in God, where it's like, I think we're almost apologetic sometimes. It's like, well, God, and, and this is what I pick up on as a pastor, people, like, when they're, when they're settling down and they're ready to do serious things, that's when they come to God. It's like, well, pastor, uh, you know, I grew up in the church and went away and did my own thing, but now I just got married and we just got pregnant. We have our first kid. And so I think we need to be in the church. 
Because in, in Texas, going to church is the thing that you do when you're ready to stop having fun and do serious things. Important, but serious things. It's like getting gas, right? I was driving to church this morning. I'm like, oh crap. I was out of, like I was on E. I mean, I was on E, like little E. Like it wasn't even capital E anymore. It was little, somebody posted that. I mean, I was on, and I'm like, man, I got, I, got, I don't have time, but I got to stop. So I, I stop and get gas. And, you know, I paid an arm and a leg for it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that's just, it is what it is. It's one of those important and necessary things that I have to take time and I have to take money and I have to do this. And I think a lot of people see God that way in Texas. He's the thing that when you're ready to do important and important and serious things, that's when you turn to God. And so naturally, it's very hard to convince our kids that God's awesome when it's like, well, I, I waited till I had my fun and then I got ready for important and serious things. So it's no wonder we have low expectations for children and their experiences with God. Because, I mean, you know, what is, I mean, you know. But, but he says, he, says he, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. If, 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 if you had a, a great uncle who fulfilled the desires of everyone who became friends with them, I'm pretty sure we'd be like, kids, we're going to our uncle's house because, uh, you know what? I could really use a new car. Like, that'd be awesome. We're going to hang out with rich uncle money bucks or whatever. Like, and we're just going to... Like, you would, you would be quick to introduce. If there was a key that fulfilled the desires. The truth is we, we, we don't often dwell on this. He fulfills desires and we barely say thank you. We move on to the next desire that we have. But the truth is, man, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. I'm not saying he's fulfilled all of my desires. There's still some I'm holding out on. But so many, so many that I cannot turn my back on him and say, you know what? Yeah, uh, if, you really want, if you really want success, you should go to the world. If you really want uh, money, you should go to the world. If you really want happiness, you should go other places. No, it's not true. If you really, really want your desires fulfilled, or as Jack Sparrow said, uh, there's, there's more treasure than gold and silver, mate. Savvy. Uh, like, it's just so much more than that. He hears the cry of those who save him. By the way, um, man, that, that, that reminds me. I'm, I'm running out of time, but I do want to... I don't, I don't even have time to finish that one passage. Let me look at Psalm 73, because this is something that I think runs up against our ability to share the greatness of God with our kids. Psalm 73, David, um, or Asaph, uh, provides a, um, an example, and I don't think I have this on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but it's kind of a long psalm. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He says in verse 2, he says, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, and this is why in verse 3, he says, because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So I saw how good things were working out for people who didn't have God, and he said that caused my feet to almost slip. And so he goes on to say, he says, they have no struggles. I love that. Verse four, they have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from, from burdens and not plagued by human ills. Therefore, their pride is like a necklace and they clothe themselves with violence. Their hearts are callous and iniquity comes out of them and evil imaginations have no limits. And he goes on to further describe them. And then in verse 12, he sums it up. He says, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. <laughs> always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. There's a real sense if you've been walking with God for a while and you've experienced some disappointments, that you're going to say, you know what, this is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They've thrown off constraint and they don't have a care in the world. They, and, and they're amassing wealth. They're investing in crypto. <laughs> and they're amassing wealth. Although not now. Don't do, I, I don't know. Investment advice. Uh, but, but you can look at the wicked and say, man, look at the car they have. Look at the women they have. Look at the, the life they have. Look at the fulfillment they have. Look at the exposure they have. Look at the, the platform they have. And they have no care. 
They've thrown off all restraints. They've gotten rid of all these boundaries. They don't have burdens like I have. Verse 12 says they've thrown off all. They have no care and they're always amassing wealth. Surely in vain, he says in verse 13, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Because verse 14 says all day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Sometimes in the midst of hardship we can get disappointed with God. And we can say, surely in vain, I have been faithful to him. Surely in vain. And what happens is, like this is, this is, this is, this is, this is normal. So the scripture is letting us know this is a normal process. But it's important. He says in the very next verse, verse 15, if I had spoken out that, I would have betrayed your children. So be careful. Oh, little mouth, be careful what you say. Because little ears are listening. He says, if I would have spoken out, this is how I felt, but if I would have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. I would have led them astray. I would have made them think that this was all true. It's okay to feel like that. It, it's okay to feel like quitting, by the way, as long as you don't. <laughs> it's okay to feel like getting a divorce. As long as, well, in some situations, I guess. And so there's some biblical situations for divorce. It's okay to feel like going off on your kids. <laughs> as long as you don't. It's okay, it's okay to feel like giving up on God. The scripture itself says, look, there are times when you see the wicked prospering and you say, my gosh, surely in vain, I've been doing all this. I've been, I've been going to church, I've been serving, I've been tithing, I've been keeping faithful to God. Surely, like, it hasn't proven, like, those guys, they have no cares at all. Me? What does he say? He says, every day I am afflicted. Yeah, every morning brings new punishments. But he says, if I would have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And so he says, I tried to understand all of this, and it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny and he goes on to explain that he says surely you have placed them on slippery ground the wicked you've cast them down to ruin how suddenly they are destroyed in other words they have no foundation they're carefree but they have no foundation they're completely swept away by terrors when suicide is continuing to rise within a community within a country you can only say it's mental illness for so long until you must admit that perhaps the nonsense you're feeding them is creating mental illness. Because not everybody who kills themselves is crazy. Some of them have just given up all hope. Some of them just, they hoped in themselves and then terror hit them and they had nowhere else to turn and they had nothing else to do. Not everybody's got some kind of weird crazy stigma no man some, some people they've just relied on themselves and when they disappoint themselves their God dies and when your God dies what what do you have the thing you've been worshiping is gone so he says man they're destroyed suddenly they're swept away by terrors they don't have foundation they don't have any roots they're like a dream when one awakes oh it's great you're carefree as long as you're sleeping but when you wake up It's easy to be carefree when you're sleeping, but he says it's like a dream when you wake up. Then the fantasy ends. Then reality hits. Then the bills come due. Then your stomach is hungry. Then your life is a mess. Then you have nobody to turn to because you've burned all of your bridges. You deleted all of the people who actually cared about you and you're stuck in a pig pen, right? Like another story. And you just, and, it, and he, he says, look, he said, I started recognizing the fact that even though they are, they look like they're carefree right now, honestly, it's because they're still sleeping. He says, my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. It was senseless and ignorant. And then he says in verse 23, he says, this is what I have in God. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after all of that, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, nothing I desire is there beside. And, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. There's an old song, uh, 
God of, oh, oh God of all my comfort, more than life to me, whom have I on earth beside you, whom in heaven but thee? The wicked have no one. Sinners have no one. When life breaks down, they have no one. And David says, even when I have no one, I have you. I'm thankful for a loving church family, but even when no one calls, I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm thankful for an awesome wife. But even when she can't meet my needs, I have someone on earth that I desire more than my wife. And as we were talking even just this week, my job as a husband is to, is to lead her to God, not to myself. If I don't lead her to desire the pearl of great price, if I don't lead her to desire the one who actually can meet her needs, because sometimes I can't meet her needs either. And so if I can't, then the, the, this, this, is, this is the sum of all life. And this is what I'm sharing with my kids. This is what I'm telling them. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a hope. There is somebody who will hold your hand and guide you and give you counsel. And you'll never make any decisions alone. And then after you die, even then you still take his hand and he leads you into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth? Nothing uh, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you have a sweet strength underneath all of the bravado? Do you have a steadying strength? Do you have a place that you can go and a person you can turn to and somebody who will hold your hand and you can lean on your entire life? I do. His name is Jesus. And this is what I'm holding out to my kids. This is not uh, whenever you're done having fun. No, this is the source of all enjoyment. This is the source of all greatness. Because even, even, even when you get the money, when you get the enjoyment, it's, it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't do everything that it promised to do. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing he said I've desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Wait on the Lord, he says in verse 14. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. This is what we can tell our kids. This is what we can tell our coworkers. Wait on the Lord and he shall strengthen your heart. Psalm 36 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light we see light. We're not asking our kids to sacrifice and come to God. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're sharing with our kids the single greatest discovery that we've ever made. There is a fountain of life. His name is Jesus. Not just in church, but every single day of the week. There's a fountain of life. Summer's coming, and on those days when you're, especially those with the work outside, man, you're sweating, you're dying. There is a fountain of life. Psalm 4, they have this passage. Psalm 4, 6 through 8 says, There are many who say, who will show us any good? Sound familiar? gas prices going up <laughs> there are many who say who will show us any good because yeah we're building back better but no this this idea of economic hardship has been going on cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles and generations and cultures and cultures and it doesn't matter what your skin color is 
There are many who say, David said, many who say, who will show us any good? This is his prayer. Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. Man, your kids hear this question all the time. Who will show us any good? We're, we're going out to the flag football field and we were down a couple weeks ago. We were down by uh, like a couple touchdowns. And so I gave this rallying speech to the kids. Guys, we're down, but we can, we can do it. Come on, we can do it. And we go to, we're walking out on the field and like this littlest kid on my team, he's like super outspoken. He always thinks we're going to win and he's really not good. Um, <laughs> So little Jude's out there with me, man. He's got all the gusto in the world, but he's got like zero. He's, he's, he's getting better. He got better every week. He made a few catches. He did good. But he's going out there and, and I'm like, and I'm like, come on, Jude, you can, you can make a play. You can do it. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, and he's like, and he's like, we're like, we're like Ukraine and they're like Russia. We're going to get them. And I'm like, So they got nuclear weapons and we don't. So this is what you're trying to say? Is what you're telling me? They're going to throw us into the gulag or like, what's going on here, man? Somebody's been listening to his parents. And it's so interesting, his perspective. I thought that's an interesting perspective. Huh. It's one-sided, but it's interesting. I was thinking more like we're Rocky Balboa he's Apollo Creed or something. I don't even know. We're trying to figure like, that's interesting. David and Goliath. I mean, there's a lot of different analogies, but your kids are listening. They're listening to what you're saying. And many of us in our homes are saying, who will show us any good? When are the prices and when's gas going to go down? When is my, when's, when's this going to become affordable? When's groceries going to be affordable? When, who's going to show us any good? And that's fine. It's, it's, no, it's normal to recognize the lack of prosperity, the dip, you know. But here's what David said. Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. Huh. So the answer is not funnel more money to Ukraine. The answer is not elect a new president. The, the, the answer that David was given, I guess, as a kid maybe, was, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but man, if God would just let his face shine upon us, if we could experience God, hmm. So it's good to look around and say, yeah, we've got, we got some trouble, we've got some trials, we've got some stuff going wrong. Things are not great, but here's what we need. We need God. And one thing my parents always did along with talking about God is they brought us into places where we could see his face. because we didn't have amazing worship services at home because dad can't sing and mom can't sing. Nobody can in our family, actually. You know, it's not really a thing. We don't play instruments. We don't sing. We don't do anything. We don't, like, we... So they brought us into places. They didn't even hardly know God when we were first born, so they themselves didn't hardly even know how to pray. They felt too, you know, embarrassed about praying out loud, so they didn't pray out loud with us very often. I didn't hear them pray very much as, as a little one. But they would bring us into rooms where people did know how to pray because they'd been praying for decades. And they said, yeah, we want Harry and Peter to see his face. Because if you see his face just one moment, this is what he said. He said, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Back when gas was really cheap, it's better to have expensive gas and to have the light of his face. Because it's better than prosperity. It's better than plenty. It's better than having your bills taken care of. There's something greater than social rest. You have put gladness in my heart. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isaiah 55, verse 2, this is the last scripture. He says, why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on that which doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. So this is where we find ourselves as parents. We bring our kids. And on the one hand, we say, why? 
Why do you spend money on stuff that doesn't satisfy? Why? Don't chase after that. Don't chase after them. Don't chase after them. So we have, we have a negative side, right? Don't, don't do that because that doesn't satisfy. Trust me, I've been there. I tried it. Right? Don't do that. Rather, eat this. Invest your time, your money, your heart in that which does satisfy. Because there is a God who satisfies, who gives you sleep, who gives you rest. And he's awesome. So Father, we come before you and we pray that you would dazzle our hearts. That you would fascinate us as parents, as co-workers, as friends, as children, as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, God, that you would fascinate us. Many are saying, who will show us some good? But Lord, as for us, we want to see your face. In our marriages, we want to see your face. We want to lean heavily upon the faithfulness of God. In our homes, we want to see your face. Well-behaved children would be awesome. (laughs) But who will show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us. My kids need an experience with you. I need an experience with you. Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. That expression means to turn favorably toward us. It means to smile at us. It means to say, you are mine. I know you. I claim you. <laughs> then we'll lie down in, 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 in peace and we'll dwell in safety. And we'll sing under the shadow of your wings. And we'll lift you up. We'll declare your deeds to the next generation. Not just because of what you did in the cosmos, but because of what you did in our hearts. Let's just, um, yeah, I guess I kind of went a little long, but let's just wrap up today by solidifying our thankfulness to him. Um, We have communion cups ready, so if I can have the ushers, uh, if you want to just maybe pass pass that around. We're in a big circle. Um, If you want to participate in communion with us today. You're free to. We practice open communion. In other words, if you're a Christian, you can partake with us. Um, if you're not a Christian, we would recommend you get saved today. Turn to Jesus today. You can forsake your sin and you can be embraced by Him. He's slow to anger, He's quick to forgive, He's full of compassion. But I wanted to remember the body and the blood of Christ today because this is the greatest picture of his compassion. This is the greatest picture of his love for us. Uh, we have new cups, so they don't get confused. It's drink on one side and bread on the other. It's fancy. It's a little fancier. said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me and his plan was that the body of Christ when they would come together the church that they would uh, partake of his body and blood and remember him and so let's just do that right now let's uh, take the drink side of it or uh, the bread side of it first can we do that y'all able to do the, the bread so let's do the bread side of it first he took the bread and uh, he broke it and he said this is my body which has been broken for you Uh, he said take and eat it so father we come to you in the name of Jesus because of the body of Jesus we thank you for his body that was in fact broken for us it's that hymn we were just teaching our kids this week um, about the, the the rock 
which is cleft for me. How does it? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood which from thy wound inside did flow be for me, be, be for sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Rock of ages, cleft. Cleft means a broken. His body was broken so that we could hide in him. So that we could take our sin from our past and it would be covered by him. So we recognize the Savior that was broken for us. The rock of ages that was unbreakable that chose to be broken so that we could take shelter within him. Thank you for that body that was perfect, sinless, spotless, and yet punished, broken, wounded for us. And we eat of that body today with thanksgiving in our heart, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and eat that bread. And after he had done that, he, he took the, the cup and he says, this is the, the wine of my new cup. blood of my new covenant and uh, he said drink all of it not just part of it so father we thank you for your blood which cleanses us from sin which creates in us a new nature that we could not have in and of ourselves we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow and we drink it today with thanksgiving in our hearts Thank you.